0: This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, Senior Pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and Senior Partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Don Eubanks,
1: Associate of Dendros Group and Member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians.
2: And I'm Halili, Owner of the Other Media Group, Vice President of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories Producer.
0: And Luz Maria Frias can't be with us today. In addition to, in, in you know, ending the the campaign season and having that be done with, since our elections have just passed, she is due for a much needed vacation and so we wish her the luck on some rest and self-care um, as we continue to move forward but today we have two special guests and I will have them introduce themselves um uh to 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 our audience we'll start with you Cindy if you will you're you're not a you're kind of a guest you've already been here you can actually come in the house and make yourself a sandwich because you you haven't been with us before but if you can reintroduce yourself um, and then we'll go to you amber
3: Hello, hello. It is so good to be back here with you all. Uh, my name is Cindy Morales Garcia. She, her pronouns. I am one of the original co-founders of the Courageous Change Collective.
4: Hi everyone. I'm so excited to be joining Counter Stories today. My name is Amber Jones. I'm a community organizer here in the Swin Cities. And I also served on the St. Paul Reparations Legislative Advisory Committee. And I'm a a fellow classmate of Reverend Galloway this semester.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I would also add, um, if you haven't, uh, go check out Amber Jones' podcast. You'll be putting some some dope things for me to put some fat on my head for. But- the reason we have these, these, these beautiful and brilliant folks on is because we're going to be talking about um, reparations. Uh, there has been a lot of conversations in many different tables around what reparations could look like. And, and, and and many different conversations around that. And so we thought it would be great to have some folks who were part of St. Paul's Reparations Task Force. Um, and I, and I, and I want to make another connection in that in Minnesota Council of Churches' work, um, Sister Amber, you and I have also worked uh, in and around uh, the truth and reparations work of the Minnesota Council of Churches trying to, to look at reparations from the perspective of what church's role has been in its complicity to some of the harm that has happened in 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 Black and Indigenous communities, and so um, if if you could tell us a little bit about uh, the task force and what some of the conversations uh, you know centered around when when you were serving in your in your term on that task force,
4: yeah, for sure. So uh, about. I would say about a year ago, year and a half ago, I applied. At the time, I was a resident of the city of St. Paul. Now I live in Minneapolis. Um, but earlier in uh, 2021, January 2021, the city of St. Paul, um, the city council, had passed a resolution essentially acknowledging the fact that the city had been complicit or participatory, um, when it comes to the impacts of slavery, child slavery, and its impacts on, uh, residents of African descent, and also post-slavery, the, in, the long-standing impacts of slavery, uh, in the 20th century, um, even speaking to how uh, the devastation of Rondo through the building of the I-94 corridor um, also disproportionately affected Black Americans in the city. And so that was kind of the beginning of their work um, to really start to push reparations um, harder. And uh, what they did was they created a temporary advisory committee um, in which we spent one year um, really analyzing what type of uh, city structure there may be to start to build permanent reparations work at the city. Um, So by the end of that year, we had drafted an ordinance for the city council to consider. And as you all know, ordinance is basically city law. So to be able to codify that and make it permanent. um, And we uh, created a companion report that really went into detail into all the facets that we considered when it came to how you actually make reparations operational in city government. Um, So our work was not to say this is how much money we will pay every Black uh, St. Paul resident with Historic ties to the city, or hear the programs. Like, we did not cut any checks, um, but we did lay some really important groundwork for the city to move forward and to create a permit uh, commission in 2023 where they can recruit commissioners and they can do the short, medium, and long term work um, to move forward and to establish a reparations model in the city.
0: Now, what's very interesting about that is there's been some fr- fruit that has come out of that. So this reparations conversation, of course, was specific to um, to to uh, black folks. We know that reparations task forces that have happened in other places have been have looked at at the experiences of of African Americans, the experiences of Indigenous folks in the area as well. Um, but I want to just just name that it, it's it, I did not know about this task force and the work of that task force. And so in doing research for today, um, y'all were were principal in this new policy that the city of St. Paul has rolled out um that actually gives housing down payment assistance to survivors of Rondo hmm. um which the may- which the mayor just doubled down on so mm-hmm. so now if you meet some of the qualifications if you are a resident or if you are a survivor um and you want to live in the Rondo neighborhood you can get i think it's almost $100,000 when all the little buckets are put together of assistance to either rebuild or stay in the Rondo area. And so there there has been uh some 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 movements in that regard. I must also say that the um in northern Minnesota, part of the reparations conversations have also led the Lutheran church to um to give not as a recompense for reparations they were clear in their language this isn't this isn't about paying off our, our debts or our guilt this is just something that we feel needs to happen as we're having this conversation mm-hmm. uh, and they they put um, almost a million dollars into um uh, they just wrote a check <laughs> and said, "While we're having this conversation, um, too, and I got to remember—I can't remember if it was Boys Fort or if it was Fond du Lac, but, but um, it, it was very—it's—it's it's, it's just very interesting that folks are beginning to have this conversation in some more official ways. Um, so, you know, has anybody else here been a part of reparations conversations in their various communities? I'm just curious. So I take that as a no. No, sir.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the answer would be no. I mean, you know, I think uh, on both sides. So, you know, I I wasn't aware that this commission was put together for St. Paul. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't aware of the reparations talk with the Minnesota Council of Churches. So there's apparently, you know, um, I hear some discussion in the American Indian community from from American Indian community members about possible reparations but I haven't heard um any talk about reparations from anyone else you know cuz right now the big thing is land back mm-hmm. you know so this is this is news to me i mean mm-hmm. you know especially with the commission that uh St. Paul had mm-hmm. i hadn't heard
4: anything about it yeah and i think um donald i think it's rem- important to remember, like, what is the actual base definition of reparations? And reparations Mm -hmm. is restitution for harm. And so Mm -hmm. reparations actually shows up in a lot of different contexts throughout the world, um, Mm. outside of even our own community as Black Americans. I would include land reparations for Indigenous Americans as part of that, like land repatriation. That's the restitution for the harm That has been done. You know, we can talk about reparations in the case of the Holocaust and apartheid. Um, So there are there are many contexts in where those key elements of acknowledgement, restitution, redress and closure, uh, which are these four key elements that we talked about um, in our work that we knew must be a part of this work in St. Paul, particularly in the case of what it looked like to establish a reparations model for at American descendants of child slavery um, mm-hmm. but I think the more that we're able to talk about like okay what is reparations at the core um, then we see that it's actually it's not that distant of a, of a mindset or a model mm-hmm. or a thought um, and even so much of our justice work is really rooted in that core ethic of we are trying to address the harm and repair it and provide restitution for it
1: so so Amber, quickly, you know, with, with that uh, definition and explanation you just gave, I think is very helpful for a lot a lot of folks to have mm-hmm. that kind of in mind, because there may, you know, even I may um, suffer from having a, a narrow description of what reparations could mean, especially when it comes to black and brown communities. Yeah. But with that definition, then e- it even has me then rethinking efforts like, uh, you know, for the American Indian community one what there were there were a couple of huge things that happened around education and one was from Augsburg University and then the big one was from the University of Minnesota and because. the University of Minnesota is a, is is a land grant, grant university that received its funding from lands that were taken from Native Americans
4: uh-huh. and um
1: and as a result of that they finally after after many 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 years decided to give uh the tribes that are that have reservations in the state of Minnesota uh their members uh um, tuition uh, free mm-hmm. tuition for undergrad so I mean so it you know I never really would have thought of that in terms of reparations um but it, it does fit the uh, the definition that you just you just gave and so and and even with that I think that, you know, while I think that was a very good first step for the U on, on that end, um, but I think they they missed an opportunity because there were some tribes here in this area, which is now called Minnesota, that are no longer here that I think that should should have been included with that. You know, they, they the language could have been more broader for tribes that had a historical relationship with this region as opposed to the current reservations that are here, because then it excludes some of the others. But with St. Paul, so after a year, the you ended up then putting together language for ordinance that mm-hmm. you hope the city of St. Paul will adopt.
4: Yes, this is government bureaucracy and full-fledged force. <laughs>
3: Um,
2: I'm just,
4: yes. I'm just yes. yes. <laughs> but I was I will say this. From the I will say this. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, um I had no doubt. I had no worry that the city council in particular would be um all in on this. Uh, from the very beginning they had been supportive. Uh we had a lot of robust conversation about what you know, that kind of, you know, that latent worry about, okay, we're doing this work because the city asks us to, will the city actually receive what we bring to the table? Um, and in the end, uh, there was a lot of great uh, discussion and rapport in the city council meeting, but no signal of a pushback. And it has been, you know, while, you know, fully supported by the city council since. And so, well, I'm really grateful for that because there are no people of of African heritage currently on the St. Paul City Council. And so the level of support from allies has been really critical. And then obviously, you know, Mayor Carter has just been a very strong advocate for this work as well. Um, in the mayoral in the mayoral side of things. So
0: I mean, we gotta we gotta remember that he's got vested interests as well. He mm-hmm. um, comes from a family. If you ever read his his father's book. Ting. Mm-hmm. There's big big ting on the end of that. Um uh y- y- you y- I mean and he talks about it all the time that that he his family lost six properties on on rondo. There are many people who own multiple properties on rondo um who lo- who lost those homes and only received salvage title value uh for that loss. So you can imagine what that looks like. Folks were doing what everybody was to, was told to do was to invest in in your and in, in the asset of a house. And, and you got generations that built up to having that and it's wiped away in one policy's fell swoop. And so, you know, there's some vested interest there uh, as well from Mayor Carter. Um, but what's coming up for folks as you think about, um, I, I mean, just as you hear, here's here's a city who's got an ordinance. Well, did they pass the ordinance? I, I didn't check. Look, it's my own city and I can't, I don't even know if they passed this ordinance. <laughs>
4: Um, initially in the summer they had passed it through, they're going through, I know they're going through budgeting right now. Okay. And so, uh, part of the work is you have to govern bureaucracy, but right. you got to make sure this mm-hmm. thing is funded, there's staff, right. all the things. And so the, the budgeting process is really to make sure all of that, um, is established going into 2023 where they can actually fund and staff a commission. Right. It takes mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I love hearing about this, and I loved our little mo- our little uh, pregnant pause at the beginning, Anthony. When you're like, "Who who's heard about who's all up in this world?" and we're all like, "What?" <laughs> and I think it's telling. I think it tells a lot, right? Because, man, what I what I love about this is that, um, you know, in order to do this work, we have to face some truths that we have been set up to not have to face. We have to look at narratives in a very different way, right? The way our, our systems of oppression operate is that they're, you know, there's a vested interest in us really thinking individually, only thinking about our, our experience in history. We are not set up to really have these muscles of thinking his, uh, systemically and historically, right? That's not the dominant culture around here to be thinking, wow, how are things going? We think about, you know, often people just say, Here's my individual story. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. My people overcame this. Am I okay? Am I not? You know, we work so much on this individual level. And so it's hard to remind folks that racism is a thing, white supremacy is a thing, and it's a historic systemic thing, right? Sexism, like all these things, are these long historic things because folks don't always, we're not set up as um think as a society to really think in those ways all the time so to embrace something like a reparations movement is to have to really lean into and build those muscles of thinking systemically of acknowledging and looking at the truth of history i know often these efforts are truth and reparations right because yeah. until you look at the like the truth this happened it wasn't just you know certain bad people being racist but a whole system a whole community, a whole institution, a whole organization, a whole city that was set up to cause this kind of dehumanization and oppression and violent stealing of. So we look at that, we won't address it in that way, right? But that's not the natural way of things because systems of power don't want us to be seeing and, and looking at all this. And so to really have to, I think we're still trying to convince sometimes people like racism was a thing, It is a thing. It's it's kept alive through systems and structures, not just by individual, you know, racist actors. It's kept alive by all these things. So I love that you know what is being what is being developed slowly because it has to be complex. As frustrating as that is, isn't just a payout like you all were saying because that never that doesn't get at those systems of oppression, right? It doesn't get at the roots of the things that cut people off from a society in which they could thrive. And so I love these examples that you all are naming because it's not just like, well, here's a check. It's like, here's access to housing. And that access to housing was life or death. It was everything. Here's access to education. And that is gonna make a big difference to change the story. Right. To remind folks of how the land was stolen and to come up with a different way to be in relationship with the land and to have systems in cities and organizations, structures that will actually allow for right relationship. Right. It brings us it brings it all back. But we're not we don't think like that We're because we've been set up not to think like that. So it didn't surprise me when we were all like, what? (laughs)
1: <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, we,
3: we work systemically like this all the time. We're thinking about history and, and looking at the truth all the time. It's like, we're not. And so what a powerful counter-narrative, what a powerful disruption, what a powerful resistance to say, no, Like this is what it would take. And I'm like, as hard as hard as it is to sit with it, I respect the time it takes because I want complex, long-lasting, deep-rooted change. And that will take what it takes, you know, because it t- this is hundreds of years in the making, the, the impacts we're dealing with. So I know we're all really good at what we do, but none of us are like magicians that we can like overturn hundreds of years of white supremacy, structural white supremacy structures in like one legislative cycle, you know. So <laughs> so I'm just feeling uh, I'm just like, yes, I appreciate that we're able to to break out of those individualism narratives Builds those muscles of systemic thinking and remind folks of the historic narrative that is shaping, shaping the individual uh, struggles that we're were in. It feels like powerful things are happening in in both um, what is being done and how it's being done. And so I'm just so appreciative. So appreciative.
2: I don't want to be a downer here, but. I agree with everything you said, Cindy. And I was excited. Uh, I heard about this com- um, this committee a while back, and I remember just thinking, like, God, I wouldn't want to be on that committee because it's <laughs> just it does it seems so heavy. But in addition, it's like there's this bad mouthing about what reparations and, and what truth is, it, right mm-hmm. in our in our country right now. Truth is not truth. We're banning books that tell the truth. Right. From for from our children. Um, Reparations. You say reparations to, uh, you know, most white people walking down the street and not even just white people, but people they'll what they think of is, oh, it's us giving money. It's the check. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what they think. And and then it gets into their head, like, why don't I get a check? I should get a check and blah, blah, blah. And it goes on and on from, from there. And so there's really been a big campaign against truth. And reparations in this
0: country. Well, so, <laughs> ooh, okay. So, um, I I I want to offer for our thought process that part of the reason some some of our 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 colleagues might feel uh, like they should get reparations is because we actually have done it. Uh, we've done it mm-hmm. several times in the United States, just not in the ways that we may be thinking of holistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I want to point out a couple of things. There was, and 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 here's the nuance in the context, right? Um, uh, white uh, former slave owners who participated in the Confederacy actually got reparations. Not only did they get a returning of many of the lands that they had as plantations during that time, but there was also monetary reparations to many of those participants in the Confederacy Um, outright. What were your losses? Let me total them and let me give them back to you. Um, So that was one set of reparations that we absolutely did. Let me juxtapose that real quickly for you. Uh, to To Japanese Americans who lost property. During the Japanese internment that happened in the United States, um, there were several billion dollars estimated in losses for that community. Um, about eighty thousand people claimed reparations for a total of one point six million. So, just Dang. just comparison in terms of being whole. If you want to talk about the U.S. Uh, reparations to the Aleuts of Alaska, uh, the Japanese weren't the only ones who were displaced during World War II. Well, uh, the U.S. occupied the islands of Kiska and Atu in the Alaskan Aleutian chain and deported 881 Aleuts to camps in Juneau, Alaska, 2,000 miles from those islands. Um, In 1988, about 450 living survivors of the camps were awarded $12,000 each. That's it. Uh, let's go to the North Carolina eugenics victims. All right, there was forced sterilizations that happened um in the ni- in in the 19 in the early 1900s. Um and in 2015 Virginia started a compensation program for victims of those forced sterilizations. Um it's it was a 10 million dollar agreement. 10 million dollars for the lives of all of these different folks who were 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 um who who were were forced sterilized. There was an attempt at reparations for the Tuskegee experiment, which only amounted to free lifetime medical care for the victims, their children, and their spouses. Um, the Florida survivors of the World's would Massacre. There was an attempt at some kind of reparations. Florida issued two point one million dollars in compensation. So, so, so we we have. I think part of what makes folks think immediately to money is because that has been our 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 way of addressing it in the past. Mm-hmm. Let me throw a couple of dollars at it. I'm not going to make you whole like the attempt was for uh, the, the uh, survivors of the Confederacy after the Civil War, um, but we're going to throw some money in there. And part of what happened in a lot of these is folks wagged their hands and said, all right, cool, we're done. That's it. Case closed. None of these have touched the land removal, um, mm-hmm. none of these touch all of the years of slavery and Jim Crow. And even in the moments that some Native folks have been able to get dollars, they have uh, many times, they weren't even in control of the very dollars that were supposed to be given to make amends in the first place. So so this conversation about reparations, I want to co-sign Lee, I don't envy your <laughs> task in trying to peel through this thing, just, just to run a little bit of our history
4: in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was glad that I actually have to be a part of the work to decide how reparations looked, <laughs> because my strength coming into the commission was really thinking about structure. At the time I was working yeah. at the state, um, I had experience engaging with boards and commissions on that level um, mm-hmm. and thinking through, okay, what, what does it look like for um, communities to feel like they can have access to this process um, when it is stood up and how will that process um, be able to move through government effectively um, and really being able to work in partnership um, on an issue that can be so incredibly tenuous, right, um, and controversial and also potentially vulnerable to legal attacks of all kinds, um, Mm -hmm. to say that a city is going to stand behind this effort and this call to reparations, um, how can we make sure it can be as effective as possible within an infrastructure that frankly was created to not care about us Mm -hmm. and our people at all. (laughs) So well, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I can do that. <laughs> well, you, know, you know, Amber, when you look at,
1: you know, as you're explaining that, and um, I, too, worked for the state for a little while. And so that side of my brain just kicked in.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, you know, so this is for the city of St. Paul and Come not right. the county, Mm-mm. not state, but mm-hmm. city. Mm -hmm. So as a political entity and as a, you know, when we think about reparations and what they possibly could be, right, and and while you guys may not, and I'm sure that discussion came up somewhat in this commission in the year that you were there, beyond just putting together a mechanism, a, a political mechanism in order to create a permanent commission to make it happen, but my mind immediately then kicked in. Well, where then, you know, depending on how, if this moves forward, I'm already jumping years down. And let's say they get to a point where they do talk about reparations because there have been other efforts throughout the country. And I think I was just reading somewhere mm-hmm. that somewhere like in Illinois, like Chicago or even yep, somewhere Evans, else, they, yep. they, in Chicago, Evanston, ev- and, and Evanston uh, Illinois, was was doing some form of reparations mm-hmm. because there was discussion about. I remember there was discussion on NPR, and that's where I heard it. Where 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 some residents were were fine, other residents were disappointed with the amount of money. See, so see, whenever you come out with amount of money, it's going to please some and not please many others. Mm-hmm. But when I think about it on the city level, you know, where where does the base of that funding come from? And and um, on the city level, you know, there's only certain certain means that the city can raise funds and 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 usually those funds mean that they're looking at uh, employing some kind of means that will have an impact for those who live in the city of Mm
4: -hmm. St. Paul. Like a levy.
1: Mhm. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know what <laughs> I mean? I'm ju- I'm I'm not I'm not trying to pinpoint <laughs> specific types of ways to do it, but you know, if you, the cities can only raise money in certain ways as opposed to counties, mm-hmm. and counties can do it a little bit differently and the state does it even different from that. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean there's a lot involved with this. I mean, you know, and then because the other questions that come up then is that does that mean is this in historical reparations so so is it mm-hmm. historical reparations from black families that were historically in St. Paul mm-hmm. and if that then when does that demarcation mm-hmm. start mm-hmm. does that you know and so yeah. there's a lot of questions because you know I lived in St. Paul when I once I crossed the river from Minneapolis and went to McAllister College I was a resident of St. Paul I'm now a resident of Ramsey County I'm no longer in St. Paul so do I qualify? I mean, you know, yep. so there's gonna be questions like that. Mm-hmm. Is that who 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 does qualify? I mean, if there, there are so there's there's just yes. all kinds of stuff. Yes.
4: Right? Um you raised so so many good points. Um some of this conversation we did have over the course of the committee, uh, and I know we had some folks on the committee, like Traharn Cruz, Nick Mohammed, really great people. Who are really deep into the the reparations work and have a frame of reference for thinking through? Okay, how could St. Paul uh, start to try to define some historical? markers of eligibility regarding that. Um, but once again, that wasn't the scope of our work um, for the mm. actual temporary committee, but it is something that apartment permanent commission will have to do the research and um, come up with a, a reliable con- conclusion uh, that will actually speak to addressing part, part of the work of reparations that you have to establish criteria um, that will address the specific harms that you're trying to repair, right? And so mm. uh, if we're talking about some of the, the manifestations of historic racism, um, including, you know, the devastation of Rondo, then we will have to establish historic markers of eligibility and ancestry that will speak to that, for example. Uh, so that's that's one point. I think another point you were starting to raise is like, well, <laughs> where does reparations live in in these government entities? And, I mean, there's no simple answer, but it, it should live everywhere. Long story mm-hmm. short, I mean, uh, the fight for reparations at the federal level has been going for decades with H.R. 40. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of the work of the reparations movement has been to build the movement up from the ground up. So like you said, um, there have been cities all across this country, um, places like um, in Texas and North Carolina and California and, and states have been looking at this as well, um, as well as keep continuing to push it at the federal level. Um, and Minnesota, even this past legislative session, uh, was pushing um, a bill uh, called the Minnesota Migration Act, which would would have done something similar to establish funding, especially as we were looking at a nearly $10 billion surplus, to establish a grant program or funding to be able to study and develop reparations proposals at the state level. And so, I mean, I'm like, well, everybody's responsible because literally almost every entity in American. Culture and society, including all levels of government, have benefited from the effects of slavery. So everyone's responsible. Long story short, and everybody should be thinking about a proposal on every level of government. <laughs> hmm.
0: You know, um, it, it, there's a there's a proliferation as the conversation goes. As I as I mentioned before, you know, we, uh, Sister Jones, and myself, sit. Um, working with the Minnesota Council of Churches, one of the things that we know in our conversations about, for example, the boarding schools um, uh, and the and the mm-hmm. harm that that has caused. Um, most of those boarding schools were run by church entities. Um And in fact, if you go to the mm-hmm. national coalition on um, on on native boarding schools, um, and we had Christine McGizzy Ford, who was the director then. Um, I don't know who the director is now, but they they have a list, they have a map, and you can see all of these different churches listed as running these boarding schools, and many of these churches are beginning to have a conversation about what steps can we take. And so I'm just I'm thinking about the kind of overflow of the conversations, right? The city of Saint Paul can can be, and I, I heard you say it was it didn't receive resistance and pushback, instead it actually was seemed like it had some welcome, and and that's something that you. It surprised me when I heard you say that, but but it's it's having also an effect with other companion. That's the word I was looking for, companion initiatives to say we can have this conversation and start to address this because other folks are also doing it, right? So there's that kind of group effect, and so you know just in the state of Minnesota, we have the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America who has established a, a. a uh, reparations fund for black leaders and congregations we have um uh the payment that was made um earlier um uh earlier this year to i can't remember which which uh, uh of of the tribes that were were, were uh, paid this money earlier uh in this year but canada uh is working to pay 31.5 billion dollars in reparations settlement with the first nations uh folks there over child welfare abuses Boston church to pay royalties for for singing and this came up I think we we may have mentioned this before um, because they're singing black spirituals and so if we're going to sing the music we better honor the folks who made the music and so you know it's they're mm. they're stuck in this conundrum because they're like this isn't enough we know this isn't enough we know this isn't the only thing that we should be doing but it's something And I'm seeing more and more folks being willing to wade into that conversation versus even five years ago when the moment somebody brought up reparations, Mm -hmm. somebody is like, well, what about the price tag? And we can't go back and know everything. And we can't and we can't and we can't and we can't. Now we're actually starting to see some folks, I don't know, get into some creative play about what this could look like.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I really appreciate that because part of me is like if we waited until everyone was, until there wasn't a campaign against us, we would never get anything done. Mm -hmm. You know, like part of me totally, there are moments, today I'm feeling hopeful, but there are moments when I'm just like, it'll never change, humanity is doomed. We're all just totally doomed. But I'm like, listen, if we waited until other, you know, it's like giving up our power. It's like saying, oh, my humanity isn't worth it yet. And I I just feel like, I don't know, you know, the women in my family are just like, la vida es la lucha. Like, life is the struggle. So that there is resistance, to me, is just a given. Like, it is Mm -hmm. just a given, right? And I appreciate, though, the reality of us naming that resistance because Mm -hmm. we can be smarter about how we do things. This movement, and it's not just a movement for reparations. It's a movement to make our, to heal, to change You know, like it is something so often it's not a surprise to me that reparation work has a a spiritual backing. There are spiritual practices that have to sustain folks. Some of the people who have led this globally have been ministers, you know, because Mm -hmm. just like we were saying earlier, this is not for the faint of heart. Like, I'm excited, but I'm also not like ignorant to like the thing, you know, I'm like, let's not be fools, but let's also not minimize the shifts that we're insisting upon that until we keep push, if we are not the ones that insist on the systemic change, it won't happen. And I don't know what generation will actually see the full fruit of it, but just the audacity to insist that we think systemically and address things systemically, I think is a powerful one, right? And so we gotta think, I mean, I'm all for, yeah, let's be frank about what's against us because I think we can be smart about it. And, you know, I think it's powerful to recognize that these changes are happening at a local level. I mean, I don't know when this recording will play, but here we are the day after the elections. And often we think about politics just on this national scale, but look at what is happening on the local level. Mm -hmm. Look at the power of what is possible. And so what an opportunity to actually learn the strategy. We have, we've had to figure it out. Man, when you start naming, Amber, when you start naming like the legal ramifications and the this and this and this and, <laughs> this and that, my brain melts a little bit. I'm not yeah. going to lie. But I'm also like, why? We can't lie to ourselves that this is impossible. And I don't have to figure it out mm-hmm. alone. And you don't have to figure it out alone. But you better believe our people can wrap our minds around these, this type of complexity. Like you better believe that we can also be smart in these ways and create these systems because if we're waiting for there not to be any, you know, mm-hmm. downers against us, we're going to be enslaved. We're going to be enslaved the rest of our existence, you know. So I, I appreciate these models because if we are to tell our people our story can change, we are powerful, we are divine. I want some real toolbox. Like I want some real case study. I want some real skills and some real thinkers to partner with to figure out what that looks like. And it's step by step you know, but I don't want to belittle either the, you know, how each step, even if later we take steps back, like it still equips us in some way. So I'm glad we're able to get this information out there to folks. I hope we can, you know, find ways to share strategies for systems change and strategies for just the sustaining, sustaining this, because this is, ooh. I agree. I'm like, I wouldn't have any work if I didn't do downer work, you know, if I waited for there to be, I would never get any of my bills paid as a consultant if I didn't take anything, you know, or I wouldn't be in a place with my family if I let these downers convince me that that's all I, I get to have. So I like that. I appreciate how we're naming history. I appreciate how we're naming some of the arenas where we can have agency and power. Appreciate that we can name some of our co-conspirators.
1: It just, brought to mind I, I another example where where you know this isn't new, so you know when i was mm. in i remember when i was in high school and that was a long time ago all right so i i'm uh graduated like seventy two but i remember then the federal government um approving and i'm trying to remember what the figure was it was something between 12 to 20 million dollars to the lakota tribes in in south dakota um for taking the black hills that include mount rushmore where they defaced this this historically spiritual area for the lakota people and they defaced it by putting those four presidents there but it was the idea that they took this sacred land from the Lakota mm-hmm. and, and in an effort to, to uh, make up for that, the federal government offered to give the tribe $20 million. The tribe has never accepted that money, Correct. Mm-hmm. never accepted that money. And I forget what that figure is now after sitting in the bank all these years, because that was... You know that was fifty years ago, and the tribe has never accepted those funds because they want that land back because it was sacred. You know, and 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 so
0: um, the, the figure as it is right now, adjusted, stands at one point three billion. Mm. <laughs>
1: so you know, mm. so sometimes it's not about the money,
4: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I guess it 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 depends on 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 what it is that that um, I think people feel. I mean, how do you, how do you, well, I mean, I know there are efforts, right? To Because every, the wealth of this country was built on the back of slaves. And the land in which to do it was taken from my ancestors, right? And they gathered us up and, and put us on reservations to get us out of sight, out of mind. Um, those of us that survived the uh, the uh, genocide, right? because many of my relatives mm-hmm. didn't survive that. and so so how do you you know how do you put a monetary figure on that? Because we're only talking right now, we're only talking about you know systemic racism and its and its desperate impact on on a on a small group of individuals in the city of St. Paul, right? because right. the city of St Paul is what two two hundred, two hundred fifty three hundred thousand folks. And it would have been smaller back in the day when when a lot of that stuff happened. so, you know, we're talking a relatively small group of people, but which could get larger. I mean, if you step, you know, because besides just the impact on, on Rondo, you know, now they're beginning to discover all these uh, covenants that impacted not only oh, yes. the city of Minneapolis and St. Paul, but all the surrounding suburbs. You throw individuals like my father who fought in World War II. And then came back and was denied access to the GI Bill. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. not that's not limited to one community or one city. That's limited to wherever you attempted to try to buy a house. Right. So I mean, so I mean, th- this discussion could get real deep in terms yeah. of
3: And it needs to. It yeah. needs we need to build the muscles to be able to pull these layers apart. And I think we also got to remember that no one effort is gonna meet all the things.
0: Right, right. That's, I think
3: we set ourselves up like, is this going to heal everything? No, it's not going to get at everything. But and but unless we get in there, and we get messy. We won't figure out how to build the very things that you're saying. You're saying that we yeah. got to look at right.
0: But that that to that point, you know, that's exactly what. And I kept I've kept butchering it, so I had to make sure to, to look at the actual press release. But the 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 northeastern Minnesota Synod had that same exact conversation of the of the. Um, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And so their gift and they made it that that's what led them to the conversation of calling what they the dollars that they put forward um, to the um, um, to the area uh, uh, that was originally handed and had uh, inhabited um, by Ojibwe uh, folks in Duluth um, dollars for the 1854 1855 and 1866 uh, land that was seated, seated. <laughs> Big air quotes, it's way more complicated than that, right? But the land that was taken. And so they gave gifts of, of $185,400, 1854, plus $100 that gets the, to, the, to the 1855, plus $1,100 that gets to the 1866. And they called it a gift and they called it a gesture. And it was partly because in the complexity of trying to kind of pull apart their role and complicitness in here, wanted to do something. And so they were intentional about calling it a gift so that there isn't that that feeling of we wiped our hands, which, which has been the pattern in our past attempts at respirations. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wipe my hands and don't bring this up anymore. I've played my blood mm-hmm. ransom in that, right? Um, even though we can redress the Civil War over and over again in our uh, conversations and our talking points across the country, but that's a whole other conversation. So I, I want to also offer... That the small or big or policy connected reparations work um, is is not just something that benefits the communities that were harmed. Um, if you are living if you are living in a space and you are sharing space with the folks who have been harmed and set back as a result of our past historic prop, uh, uh, examples, and this isn't my language, this is what some uh, of the folks who have been talking on the Minnesota Council of Churches Reparations Task Force. How do I make what do I get out of this as a white person? Mm-hmm. right? Beyond a moral or ethical space. This is a conversation or a question that we are really wrapping our heads around at the Dendros group, trying to figure out what's the get, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we can motivate folks with ethics. We can motivate folks with morals. I'm a pastor. I believe in that all day. Yes, 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 yes. And and how many times do we see folks jettison moral and ethical drives mm-hmm. when real tangible on the ground economic ones take their place? That's what drove the KKK for the longest time. That's what drove Dylan Roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so mm-hmm. what is the tangible get? Well, if the folks around you are able to recapture the the gains that were taken away from them because of our past policy and practice, that oh that well, let me see what that means. That means uh that the the wealth base of the folks around you, if you live in and around folks of color, is going to increase. Uh the housing values for folks. Uh, we've seen that in areas where mm-hmm. folks have made uh, reparative statements whether it's been monetary or policy addresses all those folks tend to increase your 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 tax bracket tends to increase the the public services guess what they tend to increase because of what's called companion or bellwethering uh, uh, uh things right when you take care of one community the community as a whole tends to take care of each other better we see mm-hmm. we know this in sociological research. So so I I I think We all
2: do better the, when we all do better, but
0: <laughs> so I just I just say that there's multiple reasons to engage in this conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it's work, not just conversation, but work.
2: I mean the work again, Amber, I I don't envy you and and, and the committee having taken this on. Uh, but th- there's always this fear-mongering. We've talked about this during mm-hmm. our election coverage of like you know, if your black neighbor is going to get a boost, you're not. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's the scary part. And I the think myth of the
0: zero zero sum game.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Like like you guys can't both succeed. It's 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 one or the other. And on one hand, I'm like, OK, what can we say? What can we do to get, you know, the white people on board? On the other hand, I'm like, forget them because this is <laughs> justice, right? So it's like this yeah. is balance of like. Well, it's all white city council. There's so much there.
4: It
2: was not white city council.
4: But it's, oh. I mean, there are definitely people of color on the council, but okay. there are no black people on the council currently. And mm-hmm. some, I mean, some, but some of the the most fervent advocates were, you know, white allies, Um and. And I mean, I will will respectfully push back. I do think, um, Anthony, it is a spiritual and a psychological and a moral fight more than anything else. Um, As with most Mm -hmm. of what we are dealing with in this country, we are trying to redeem the soul of America. Like, as, you know, many people have said before us, like, we can, we can, I mean, because honestly, we can lay down all of the economic and political arguments till we're blue in the face, we can lay out the data till we're blue in the face. Like it's for some people whose hearts are hurting, it's not going to change them. Like it's it's not. Um, And that's just the reality because we are really, what we're doing is we are um, hitting at the core of America's original sins of slavery. And then, you know, if we're talking about from the indigenous context of, you know, genocide and and um, land grabbing. like We are hitting at the foundation of how this country even became what it is today, like without exploiting and stealing the labor of enslaved Africans, mm-hmm. trillions upon trillions upon trillions of wealth. Um, and I think there are some figures, um, even in the Smithsonian African-American Museum, they kind of speak to that in some of their exhibits, Um, And I know people have done research on this as well. Um, But without that, like, the United States would not be as economically prosperous and powerful as it would be today. But it's like, but then people put so much pride um, in being American, mm-hmm. there's so much identif- mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just this nationalist identity of what it means to be American and where the greatest, like even, even people who may even be favorable to reparations continue to share this rhetoric. Like I was just watching, you know, like you said, the day after elections, I'm watching President Biden, you know, give his like victory speech basically about how the Democrats did. And he just, he's like... This is the best America has been. We're continuing to be. And I'm just like, we continue to perpetuate these messages about who America is and what, you know, we think it has done. Right. And how it's been. We're continuously progressing and we're prosperous and all these things. And we cannot speak to the fact that our prosperity is tied to the slavery, exploitation, genocide, Mm -hmm. all the things. Like We still cannot say that over 200 plus years later. (laughs) Right. Wait, wait, wait! Are you saying we're not part of the American dream? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Screw the American dream. Okay. Yeah. Out. And that's at the heart. And, and, yeah. You know, at the heart. That's at the heart of this conversation about reparations. It it forces you to yeah. confront what is really at the heart of all. Like even all of our justice work. Like it's it's elements of that. But I feel like there's something really particular about how what we are talking about with reparations like you got to go back to the foundation, the core of the issue. You got to deal with your stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. The house that slavery and land theft built.
4: That
3: makes me think how so I don't know if y'all know, but I was also involved in the Minnesota Council of Churches um I was on their visioning committee that helped That's lay right. the groundwork for this reparations right. work. Um everything. And I remember being there and, uh, you know, this work around reparations being named specifically for Black and Indigenous folks and knowing that there would be folks in my community just wanting to, you know, we've been talking about this conversation a lot, like it's just like Black and white and Indigenous folks. But there's a lot of us, you know, out there Mm -hmm. beyond that are also part of this conversation and knowing, having conversations with my own Latinx immigrant community who are also Americans, but we're Latin Americans. And so America, you know, remembering that America doesn't get to claim this whole hemisphere. Uh, So I like to be very clear and being Mm -hmm. like the The U.S., U.S. America. Uh, So it doesn't Mm -hmm. erase the hundreds of years of ancestors in the Americas beyond the U.S. But I remember, you know, talking with family about this and and I mean, no one was against it, but they were kind of like, Oh, Ike, you know, okay, what, like, this has nothing to do <laughs> with it me. Works. Like, sure. Do we get checks? We're like Brown, you know, mm-hmm. we're like, you know, and this whole or whatever, like there's this whole thing. And I remember just seeing the, like, isn't this part of the divide and conquer that we don't under a big part of this is we are connected. It's not just black and white and indigenous folks are connected, but all of us are connected because we're getting at the architecture of a global project for white supremacy. That's right. So, you know, so the way black and indigenous folks in the U.S. were treated set the groundwork, set the blueprint, or was the original Mm -hmm. sin, if you want to get, you know, Christian about it, for how the rest of us got treated. Right, so I'm like, this is setting it. So I'm like, how this goes for this community is going to impact because then once that blueprint was set in the U.S., it didn't stay within the U.S. borders. No. You know, it expanded globally. That's how we got Texas. That's how we got California. It expanded to my motherland of Guatemala, right? So this idea of we can take and we can own and we can exploit and we can dehumanize and we can genocide, we can do all these things that hit the world. It is a Mm -hmm. global concern. And that impacts my beloveds now. That's why, you know, I came as a refugee from war, as shaped by the the foreign policy of the US military and the CIA, right? They're holding on to this empire that they're doing. And so it is a thing Mm -hmm. that impacts all of us. So what does it mean to be quote unquote US American. And what does this having to face the truth not just mean for the city of St. Paul, but setting a precedent for the this empire that has a global reach. So we're so I'm like, I just want to, you know, I'm paying attention because I'm like, we're setting some, we're setting new imagination of what's possible that I'm hoping will have a global reach Mm -hmm. because these things we're setting up for the power and the resources didn't just stay within the city of St. Paul. Like it reached its hands into Latin America. And so I'm like, if I, you know, if I can point to like, look, this isn't beyond our scope of possibility anymore. That gives me some more strategies and possibilities to think about, to remind folks, we are connected. We have been connected throughout history. And the structures we set up has many arms and it's been raiding many of our communities across around the world. And even as simple as reminding ourselves, we are US Americans. Right. Not just getting to claim everybody, uh, not as if the U.S. is the only one that exists in the Americas. I think these these are powerful shifts that we got to stick to, you
2: know. And America has their hands and America has their hands in all these countries. Right. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff that comes yeah. off. And then like the U.S. You know, has its hand. Yeah. Right. And I've been interviewing some Hmong veterans and they're and, and they're always like, oh, we're thankful that America brought us here. And I'm like they left you there. And if you could get here, they said they would help. Like, you know, like for them, it seems like, well, we're still trying to get that American dream We're you know, as as refugees, as immigrants, we're still trying to get to that that American dream. And I don't know how long it'll take before we realize that American dream doesn't really exist for a lot of us because Mm -hmm. of how America's hand came into our country. Hmong don't have a country, but it came into where we lived you know, and stirred things up, and and used our people. So, mm-hmm. Amber, I mean, talking about it locally, like, what can we do locally now? What is the next yeah. step?
4: Yeah, thank you for um, switching to to the action steps here. And um, I think one piece to that is, is also part part of the work of educations is really, you know, if it's if it's in your ministry to to move, you know. Our white brothers and sisters along. It's not all the way in my ministry, but if it's in yours, great. I think it's really getting them to understand that the quote unquote American dream actually does not benefit anybody. Like, because at the heart of like it is a false reality and that the fact that you feel like you can um accomplish this prosperity at the expense of other people is not real prosperity at all. And that if you cannot think, if you can't conceptualize of a world and a vision where like my my success is attached to yours. Um, then I don't think that's real success. So I think that's that's part of like redeeming the soul is really getting people to understand that part of your heat, and also people got heat. Part I think one of the great things that reparations raises, especially when it comes to closures, like it's the ability to heal. Like it's the ability to reconcile. It gives it gives the ability to heal and reconcile as you repair the harm, um, and, and it just gives great language around like everyone in this from the perpetrator to the victim, um, must heal. And so how can we think about that? So that's just like high level. But as far as action steps on the ground in St. Paul, um, so the city's in the middle of its uh, budgeting process and also going through the process of uh, establishing the ordinance. Um, And I actually got some updates while we were on the call. Because people are great <laughs> sending me updates. <laughs> but um as as I mentioned, you know, the city council's been, you know, unanimously supportive throughout this entire process since we brought the draft ordinance to them um for review and in, in, in June with the companion report. And they're in the process of, of going through um, the public hearings, the, the readings of the ordinance so that there can be public input um, at the city level before it can be voted on. So they have um, the first reading of the ordinance will be on December 7th. And then there'll be a public hearing on December 14th. And so that will be an opportunity for if you are interested in sharing your support. You don't necessarily have to be a resident of the city of St. Paul to offer Saint, uh, support. But if you are a resident, you're mm-hmm. obviously pr- more privileged because they want to hear from their constituents. Um, so I think that will be a, a major opportunity to really just um, drive support to the city council and just make it very publicly known that there is... Um, support for this proposal and support for the work of reparations in the city alongside the support that's already being given by city officials. And then they'll come back after the new year um, and vote on the ordinance on January 4th. So that's kind of the policy lane of things. Um, And then on the budget side, um, they were able to get some staff to, to in the, in the current budget proposals to staff the commission which is really important because who's going to do <laughs> the work, the city labor mm-hmm. to make sure all those things are up and running. And so um, as of right now, um, it's really tracking the the process to pass that ordinance and then also get the necessary staff um, in the budget for the commission.
0: You know, hearing that, I'm going to call my my council member, uh, Mitra Jalala Nelson, ASAP. Um, oh yes, and 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 holler at her, but she would. <laughs> that's what's up. I, I want to thank you all for this conversation. And it and it and it and it um it it it, it highlights a whole lot of things for me. But I think um, you all have raised a very important you know thought space for me. Our our nation's most famous monument, one of our nation's most famous monuments, the Statue of Liberty, was originally supposed to be a monument to ending uh, slavery in the United States, and has become something else mm. because we've hidden the chains. At the feet hidden behind the garments. And that's how we treat mm. conversations like this. We only talk about it when we trip over them. And I think you raise an important mm. point uh, uh, that, that um, we have to deal uh, with the truth of that at, in order to even be begin to imagine the possibilities for repairing the harm. We have to first be willing to acknowledge the harm. Um, and so I, I really thank you all mm-hmm. for, for bringing this forward both in a, in a tangible lived real life right on the ground experience and for pushing us to think deeper about the possibilities that exist here um, I, it, it, you know Ta-Nehisi Coates says it really really well that for Americans the hardest part of paying reparations would not be the outlay of money it would be acknowledging that their most cherished myth was not real This has been Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church and senior partner at the Dendros Group.
1: I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians.
2: I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. I'm Cindy Modales-Garcia, co-founder of the Courageous Change Collective.
4: I'm Amber Jones, former member of the St. Paul uh, Reparations Legislative Advisory Committee. Thank you.
0: This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.